Does everything have a bright side to it? Of course. It doesn't always outweigh the negatives, but everything has a bright side to it. This makes happiness a choice. And here we say that the discipline of being happy is the ultimate discipline. With that said, welcome to the Ultimate Discipline Podcast, where we meet with people who are practitioners of this exact discipline, and we hear their cool stories of cultivating happiness through challenges in their life. I am your host, Sean Greenspan. Let's get to it. Hello, testing, one, two, three. We got you. How are you doing, Dan? Hey, Sean, very well. Thank you. No, thank you so much for taking the time. You don't know how much this means to me. Oh, I'm delighted. Thank you so much. We'll have a great conversation, I'm sure. I'm sure we will, too. Um, I I love the the artwork behind you. I recognize it all. (laughs) Oh, you do? Really? So, wow, you are a reader, indeed. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, I came across... I came across your book when my grandfather actually was in hospice. He was passing away. And my mm-hmm. uncle, who I'm very close with, uh, we were just having a deep chat. And he goes, you know, there's a book I read a long time ago. I think you'd like. And he bought it for me. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I, was, I read it. It's, it's on my, of course, kind of preparing for this. I, I dove into it, you know, the last few days. But uh, I just wanted to thank you so much for making the time, and I appreciate well, terrific. it. Terrific. One thing I love about Zoom is it's an intimate conversation. I see the background in your room. You see a couple of my pictures in our bedroom office and here in Brooklyn, New York, and it's uh, like an intimate conversation. It's just great. It is great, and uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, my brother's in, in New York, so if I'm ever out there, I'll definitely reach out to you. Oh, feel free. You know, Just uh, ping me if you get in the area and have discretionary time. We can grab some tea. Oh, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. Sure. Well, Dan, let's, um, let's, we can just hop into it. I did start the recording. Um, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted to start again by thanking you again. It shows that you walk the walk, if you will, you, you live, you know, by your, your values and your virtues. Um, you know, I reached out, I, I thought about a few days, how am I going to reach out? Because, you know, I wanted to, and then I thought, you know, I was, I wanted to like, you know, of course, catch your attention. I thought I was like, I'm going to be genuine. I'm just going to say, Hey, I love your books. I live, I try to live by them. Um, you know, really the way of the peaceful warrior is the one that I love, you know, the most. And, um, I, I don't know, it resonates with me. And I wanted to ask you what made you accept this invitation? Well, that's a good question uh, because I do get many invitations. I've done about 47 podcasts since January um, because of the new book release. Um, I don't know. Maybe the most, that honesty. Uh, um, I mean, I didn't consciously go, oh, this seems honest. But yeah. the fact that you had you know, read a number of my books, were enthusiastic about them, um, it just seemed like a good thing to do. And I like 30 minutes, too. That's, a, that's kind of a good time frame for me. Yeah, right. You know. If someone says, hey, do you have two hours? That might be a big, a big <laughs> yeah. chunk of time. Yeah, that, that helped as well. Um, and since I have a granddaughter coming over a little bit after three uh, here, our, our time, it's, uh, so I'm, I'm anxious just to pop in and, and uh, see where it goes. Beautiful. I, I, really, I really appreciate that. Um, and tell me about this, this new book you know, that you have coming up. What's, it, what's the title of it and what's it about? 
Uh, well, the, the new book is called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. It was published in early January, mm -hmm. and it's getting very warm reception. Um, and it's going to be carried, I presume, for many years through word of mouth. It's the true story behind the story. The subtitle of the book is The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. And, and many people go, well, didn't you tell that in Peaceful Warrior? No, Peaceful Warrior blended uh, some fictional elements with autobiographical elements. But the new book is, you know, true, factual. Um, I checked it with relatives and friends, their memories. And um, yeah, no, didn't you get a copy of the book? I, I, I thought Monique, my uh, publicist, would have sent you a copy, but maybe that was a slip up. We can still do it after the fact. Um, I, yeah, I, I've not got a copy yet. I'm excited to read it. Um, I'll also be buying a copy because I can, it'll be a great gift I could give to somebody too. Well, the audio is fun too. I produced it at my daughter's uh, audio recording studio. So many people like enjoy the audio because it's my voice relating the story. Um, yeah. Some people love audiobooks. I, I do. I go around the park and bike or walking and uh, enjoy audiobooks, but uh, not everybody uh, does that. No, they're, they're, they're fun because, like what you said, you can consume them in different environments. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you dictate the book? Yes, I do narrate the book, and I've done a number of books, so I'm, I keep getting a little bit better. I improve over time. <laughs> so this one apparently has gotten some pretty good reviews in terms of the production quality. My son-in-law did the original cello intro and outro music. <laughs> um, he's a, a master cellist, so it was kind of a family affair creating the audiobook. One thing about audio is nice is movies, you don't have any imagination involved. You don't even exercise one a little iota of imagination. But audiobooks, you do because you hear a voice, but you have to imagine what the scene's like and, and the person and everything. So um, to me, they're as good as reading a, a book. Yeah, it's that that's such a great distinction. I find I find I take walks. That's that's how I consume audiobooks. I used to do it while driving uh i realized i don't let my imagination play as much while driving right you know because you're you're focused on that so some books may be more uh more like i don't know uh firm self-help books i might you know I, I when i say firm i mean ones that are more like step one do this step two do this sure. I'll, tell, I'll tell you what what captures me about your writing dan is I, I would consider it i think on the back it even says it's in a self-help category but it, it's so different from somebody telling you what to do you know it's different than me saying hey dan you know step one is you need to get like this right you need to get this right and what i love about going back to the book every time is no matter how thoroughly you read it how slowly you read it notes you take whatever you're not going to capture it all you're going to walk away with a few things and you know one of the things, uh, one of the things I remember I walked away with the very first time reading it was to take my time to appreciate preparing and eating meals. It's, it's something we do three, four times a day, maybe for someone like me, four or five times a day. And, uh, you know, it's just funny because that's what I took away from it, right? The first time re rereading it this time, I took away, you know, completely other things that I can actually put into practice, which is you know, beautiful. And I think we're talking about Way of the Peaceful Warrior, correct? Yes, we are. Yeah, my first book. Um, yes, you know, it was really not necessarily meant to be prescriptive. 
Um, when I wrote the book, it was a broad-based introduction to what would become my work. I had no idea at the time I was going to be writing any other books. And in fact, I didn't write another book after Way of the Peaceful Warrior for 10 years. Mm. But then I met the third of four mentors I describe in the new book who influenced my life and work. And that's a major part of the spiritual quest. And uh, after I met him, I was so excited about sharing new information um, that I ended up writing a book every year or two since then. And so I wrote Sacred Journey of the Peaceful Warrior, which it kind of takes place within the same time frame as the original book. It's a smaller frame story, but it, it, it conveys some uh, information and perspectives I thought was useful. And again, it was couched in a story. So readers said, Dan, your first two books were so inspiring, but how do I apply this stuff to everyday life? Yeah. And that's when I ended up writing uh, No Ordinary Moments, A Peaceful Warrior's Guide to Daily Life in response to those queries. And it's still a classic of my book in that, in that self-help area, uh, chock full of various information. I don't know if you've, you've read it, but um, you know there are people who've just read Peaceful Warrior. There are people who've just seen the movie and haven't read any of the books. Um, and some people have said, Dan, you know, I loved your book so much. I read it six times. And I said, you might be, have been better off reading six of my books once because <laughs> each book really is, I never wrote a book just to put another book out there, Sean. It's always, it needs to be written at the time it was written. And then, a, then a, one of my best-selling books I wrote after that called The Life You Were Born to Live, which is an entirely different type of book. It helps to clarify one's life path. And uh, it's an uncannily accurate system, though I can't really explain it rationally. I go into that in the introductory material. And, and then from then on, then I, there were some spiritual laws in that book, The Life You Were Born to Live, that I thought deserved a book of their own. So then I wrote The Laws of Spirit. So each book organically was like a plane on a foggy runway waiting to take off. I never knew which one was going to be written next. Um, or if I'd ever write again, then yeah. it's appeared. So this new book is the first real memoir that I've done because it is entirely mm -hmm. true based on my memories. Uh, it, it went from a 500 page memory dump or download. <laughs> and I, I trimmed it down over nine drafts to a 220 page book, uh, turning it into uh, an unruly hedge into a bonsai. Um, and so I want, you know, Jack London once said it takes hard writing to make easy reading. And I wanted to make it as inviting as I could for the readers. In fact, my wife, Joy, also has some writing in it. Because on the seventh draft, she read every draft of the new book. And she has for all my books. And she said, Dan, I'm, I, you know, I was with you this whole time through these four mentors. And over the years, we've been together 47 years. And she, uh, she said, I have a little different perspective. Maybe I should write something. I said, great idea. So she also wrote about 10 pages of material sprinkled through the book, given, giving her perspectives on, on our time together and with these four mentors. I call the professor, the guru, the warrior priest, and the sage. And they represent radically different approaches to the spiritual path. Um, and so that's why I felt the new book justified itself, not because I assume legions of people want to read about this Dan Millman character. <laughs> but if my life can touch universal themes and affect your life, that, that's what made it worth the, the effort. Mm, that's beautiful. And so 
Um, I, I'm, I, I, as I mentioned, I haven't read this new one and I'm eager to, I'm going to listen to, I'm going to get the audio book when we're done here. And, um, I'm going to, you know, take a, a jog this afternoon, jog or walk. That's a good time for me to listen to a book, as I mentioned. Um, you, so you said universal theme and let me tell you, that is another thing that like encapsulates me and what brings me back, um, to your writing, you know, I, at my, my, the book I've read the most, and I think my favorite is The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and it influenced the title of this podcast, right? I think you could see that happiness, life's ultimate discipline, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and on that theme, you know, and then uh, let's take, let's take Socrates's uh, comment in there, humor, paradox, and change, right? The three laws of life. I, that's something I feel like I've been able to embody universally, that no matter what's happening in life, you know, there's a humorous side to it all, right? There really is. And then you get, and I, I who uh, have much less clout behind my name than you, and I've, I've brought that up to people in conversations and, you know, you generally get the question of like, well, what about the passing of somebody's life or a tragic accident? And I, th- my understanding is that the, the humorous or the bright side doesn't always need to overshadow excuse me overshadow and overpower the negative side but there is that light side that you can reflect on and and look at and and then you know you know i think that's where paradox comes in and change right the 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 understanding and the comfort that everything moves and everything will evolve over time you know those are some of the universal principles i've got from from your readings and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm why you know there are things that it, it's it's hard to uh bring into every moment in your life which is why i i feel drawn to come back to some of these different readings yeah well there there's a um a saying a serbian proverb uh two men looked out of prison bars one saw mud and the other saw stars both mud and stars exist um and we don't want to ignore that the mud or deny it because we might step in it um but we also want to remember the stars and there are truths that are conventional that applied that have different truths, transcendentally speaking. So conventionally speaking, there is nothing funny about uh, people being killed in a country, genocides, people dying that we love. There's nothing humorous about that. But, um, but from the transcendental view, um, it's, there's more of a lightness to it. Uh, when someone dies who we love, we grieve. And yet we also remember to... Uh, have gratitude for our time together. Maybe mm-hmm. that's even more appropriate than grieving. Their loss is the time is gratitude for the time we had together. Um, and you know, look, Irish wakes are big parties. You know, they yeah. after the funeral they really party. So there is that side. But I, I would never argue with someone you know who was in a conventional mode and suffering grief, saying, "Yeah, but look at the humor in it," because they may not yeah. appreciate that. So yeah. it's more cosmic humor. It's more a sense of lightness. It's like down in the weeds every day, we're dealing with conventional life and we're down in the weeds at the base of a mountain and, and seeing what's going on in a small picture. But suddenly we find ourselves on the mountaintop and looking around at a panoramic view and everything is more beautiful in the distance. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I think Sock might've meant by, by humor, paradox, humor and change. Um, not just what we might laugh about, but a sense of lightness 
and uh, and spirit and acceptance, as you were hinting at, um, that all this is part of our life, our evolution, and ultimately everything is fine. Ultimately, everything is perfect, a perfect part of our human process unfolding. Now, somebody might be offended by that, saying, wait a minute, what about the current events? What I just read in the newspaper today? Are you saying that's perfect? No, not conventionally speaking. It could be improved upon, but it is a perfect part of our life process of human history because what we learn from it may help us to evolve and grow and understand, which is, you know, if, if, I view earth as a divine school for souls. Now, do I know that's true? No, um, but I like looking at it that way. And so daily life is our classroom. Every day mm -hmm. there's a chance to learn a new lesson. And that's the arena of the peaceful warrior. So in my, one of my books called The Hidden School, it's the third in the Peaceful Warrior trilogy um, after a sacred journey. And that's where I really get into the different truths that operate at conventional and transcendental levels. For example, conventionally speaking, time exists. You know, we have to deal with the realities of time passing, including during our conversation. Uh, and yet, transcendentally speaking, there's no such thing as passing time. It's all the eternal present, the eternal present, the eternal present. And it, does free will exist? Um, sure, conventionally speaking, we make choices every day. But transcendentally speaking, can we choose what we're going to choose? Or is that already predetermined? So it brings up bigger questions about free will, about death, about whether we're individual beings or all one. So it helps resolve some of the big questions of philosophy by understanding the different truths that operate at conventional and transcendental levels. So, and by the way, when you get the audiobook, uh, in the preface, the be very beginning, there's going to be a revelation that might surprise you, even shock you a little bit. But I won't say what it is, since you haven't read it yet. Um, but it'll it'll open your eyes a bit about the true story behind the story. Um, that's 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 exciting because yeah. you know I did watch some of your you know so, some videos, some other interviews, podcasts that you've been a part of. You know, trying oh, yeah. to prepare, and of course, right. I, I wrote down some of the, I literally wrote down here, some of the basic questions, right? Is Socrates real? Is everything right. that happened, you know, real? And I, I don't even, uh, I don't, I don't care to dive into those. What, you know, this is, this is just a beautiful opportunity to hear, like you speak and the way you broke that down is all beautiful. And mm -hmm. some, something that piques my curiosity is about this, this back and forth between, um, you know, the transcendental, uh, way of thinking versus the conventional way. I, I'd like, do you mind sharing a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah. 99% um, of our time for most of us in day-to-day -day life is appropriately spent in conventional reality, functioning, a daily business, school, education, relationships, kids, if there are any, um, physical health, finances, decision-making, all the stuff of daily life. That's a conventional world. And we have to uh, attend to that. And that's why I recommend having our, our head in the clouds, that's the transcendent, but our feet on the ground. Mm. So, and yet there is a yearning in many people uh, when they kind of think, I'd like to do more spiritual practice. Maybe I should meditate. 
what is it all about? What is life? What is meaning? All those higher philosophical questions or existential questions, that is more leaning into the transcendent. And there are people conventionally who've had every kind of success and they're still not happy. And that brings us to the central theme of your podcast um, about happiness. And they re- that's what happened to me. I had success as an athlete, you know, I was a world champion. So how do you, go, where do you go from there? And a uh, girlfriend, and I was doing fine in school, college student, entitled white male, you know, as a young guy uh, growing up through the 50s, 60s. Um, life was good, but yet I said, something's missing. And that's what drew me into my interest in spirituality. Where is real happiness? Where is fulfillment? Is it more money? I don't think so. A lot of people with a great deal of money just distract themselves. But are they truly, are they happy? Did it make them happy? We've read all the studies that you need about $75,000 a year you can get by on. And and yes, you're happier when you have that rather than less. But way beyond that doesn't necessarily impact one's level of happiness or well-being. So where is happiness? Well, what I do present um, after having studied for over two decades with these four mentors and developed my own approach to teaching and what I call an approach to living I call the peaceful warrior's way is that to me, happiness is not just some good feeling, a giddy feeling that descends on us. We all know what that's like, but it also passes fairly quickly. Um, Rather, happiness is a practice. In other words, um, people say, what do you mean by that, Dan? How do you practice happiness? And I go, okay, well, let me step back for a moment before I explain that. You see, I do not encourage people, Sean, I do not encourage you to feel happy or kind or confident or courageous or loving or peaceful. I only encourage you to behave that way. And this comes from my teaching with the four mentors, the sage, realizing we have less control over what we're feeling in any given moment or second than we do what we actually do our actions. We have more control over how we move our arms and legs, what we say, how we move our mouth. That's an action. By our will, we can will ourselves to touch our nose or to move our arms around. But to will ourselves to feel happy or sad or excited, good luck with that. There are so many books in the new age telling people, this is how you control your mind and have positive thoughts and an empty mind and and quiet and all that stuff. That's the promise. But I don't know. I've asked audiences, raise your hand if you've ever read a book on positive thinking. Lots of hands go up. And I go, great. Now that you've read that book, uh, how many of you, Ray, keep your hands up if you've only had positive thoughts for the last, oh, say, two weeks. All the hands go down and everybody chuckles. And I say, yes, but if you'd read the book twice, right? Or if you'd done all, highlighted it and done all the exercises, then you too would have more positive thoughts and fewer negative ones. Look, I've been around the track. I've done the meditations. I've done the work as you'll read about or hear about in the, in the new book. Considerable. You know, people thought I was a young jock and then I met this guy named Socrates. Now I teach. It didn't work like that. A lot more went into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... In any case, um, and sometimes my thoughts are positive and sometimes they're negative, but I don't take them as seriously. I don't believe them as much. So when I say I don't encourage you to feel all those nice ways, I only encourage you to behave that way. 
See, whether you're feeling grateful or not, you can say thank you. Whether you're feeling happy or not, you can smile. And I ask people, how do you behave when you're feeling really happy? We all know what that's like in moments. And they go, well, uh, I go, are you more present? Yeah, I'd say so. When I'm really happy, I'm really present. Are you more enthusiastic? Yeah. Uh, are you uh, kinder? Sure. When I'm happy? Uh-huh. So I say, good, behave that way. That's the practice of happiness. Whether or not you happen to be feeling giddy at the moment, you can feel irritated and actually say a kind word to someone. We can, our, our thoughts and emotions don't have to determine what, how we behave. That's a real form of liberation. And that's a peaceful warrior's approach. That takes a warrior spirit. And again, the idea of, of practicing the peaceful warrior's way, and I view all of us as peaceful warriors in training because we're all seeking to live with a peaceful heart, but there are times we need a warrior's spirit mm. to bring into life our best behavior and a sense of happiness, to radiate happiness, not wait for it to come to us. I love, I love that. I love the way you ended that, not wait for it to come to us. It, it takes a sense of entitlement out of it that we don't, I don't want to say deserve, everyone deserves to feel happy, but it's something that you need to earn continuously is what, you know, and, and practice as you're saying, I, you want, one of the, one of the things that happened when I reread, you know, this book in preparation for this was I wrote a blog about why do people, uh, so I, I was an athlete, football, basketball player. I say was, I like to still think I'm an athlete. Sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, I wrote in a blog saying, why do people play more than they practice in life, but practice more than they play in sports? And my thought was that, you know, people just expect to be happy, to, to, to do as they wish without putting in the work. It's like, I would never walk on a basketball court in, for, for a state championship game or whatever, without having practice, you know, taken a thousand shots a day for the last five years, but yet they want their mind to work like that. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and as you know, being an athlete, former athlete as well, um, you, you, you learned a lot of spiritual laws in your training, the law of process, the law of presence. But many athletes are so focused on the games, the points, the scores, the shots, that they don't realize they're learning universal laws through their practice. Sports are a way, just like business is a way, or raising kids is a way. Um, they're all paths to personal growth and personal development. And so, um, you know, there, there's, there's a saying of reality, which, and the sage taught me this, which is that we cannot control the outcomes in life. If we could, we could just guarantee we'd make a basket every time we shop. But even if we practice a lot, we're not going to make every basket. So we can't guarantee outcomes in life, but we can control our efforts. And by making a good effort over time, we increase the odds of getting the desired result over not making the effort. And that's the realization of any athlete. You know, yeah. people ask me about meditation. And I say, well, meditation is an exercise, a particular kind of exercise. You sit down and you practice deliberately. And doing push-ups is an exercise. And if you do push-ups over time, predictably, you get stronger. And if you meditate over time and practice that sincerely, you begin to see the nature of mind. 
get a different relationship to a distance from thoughts. But the primary difference between meditation and push-ups is that you can't pretend to do push-ups. Yeah. And that's the realization <laughs> of any athlete. There's no pretense in sport. You make the basket or you don't. You make the block or you don't. And so um, that's why I begin my book, the, the new book, uh, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, with my days in athletics, because that was my foundation. It was the beginning of my spiritual practice. It wasn't a preparation for spiritual practice. It was the beginning of it. I just didn't realize it at the time. But every athlete has done spiritual practice. They understand it intuitively um, and the laws of reality. So there it's a, but, but for those who didn't do athletics, it's true for music, practicing a musical instrument, or even learning a new language, studying. Any action. Hmm? Any action. Any action we do. Cooking. Yeah. Any yeah. skill. Any skill we do, we're, we're training. That's why one of my books is called Body, Mind, Mastery, uh, uh, Training for Sport and Life. That's so, true. yeah, it, it all comes together, as you'll see in, in the memoir. Yeah, I, I can't wait because, you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of questions that, you know, like I have that come up or that I see come up are all about like, OK, but what did you actually do? Because everyone wants the blueprint, right? Everyone wants the uh, everyone wants the, the 10 step blueprint. You brought up something extremely, uh, you know, that really piques my curiosity. Uh, my best friend, Marty, and I, we we go back and forth about um, he's kind of my sounding board and i'm his sounding board for our spiritual practice and we talk about the importance of goal setting and he uh, entered the conversation where goal setting is a little counterintuitive to happiness because right okay i achieved this goal i'm not happy i kind of i entered the conversation from the other aspect that you know we have goals so for example one thing i like to do now is ultra running. So like 50 mile runs or something like that. When I complete a 50 mile run, I'm not eternally happy, but if I practice the discipline of, of running and I really want to get better. So to get better, I do need to be present and focus and work on those universal laws that you say so eloquently when I do complete it. And if I do complete it at a faster time or whatever, Again, that's cool. That's a nice pat on your back, but that's not the real win. The win is the journey to get there. How do you envision, and you obviously, I mean, that's what the book was about, right? You're a world champion. How do, how do you see goals and goal setting relate sure. to happiness? Well, many of my books are based on purpose. The life you were born to live, the four purposes of life, living on purpose. So purpose has been a, a key element in my work. Um, in fact, in the Peaceful Warrior movie, the character Dan and Socrates hike up a hill, you know, Socrates played by Nick Nolte. Um, and they walk up this big hill and Dan has this realization. The character says, you know, Sock, I just realized it's not the destination that makes us happy. It's the journey. And yeah, there's some wisdom in that because most of our lives, as you point out, are spent in the journey. Um, except if we don't have a destination in mind, there is no journey. We just wander around. I believe we're hardwired goal seekers. When I look at my, when my granddaughter was a baby crawling across the floor, she wasn't just having a workout. She wanted something. She was going for a big brother's toy or whatever it was. 
So we're hardwired from, the, from young childhood to seek goals. From our point A, we need a point B. And we're most absorbed. And now, whether we use the word happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction, there's certainly satisfaction when you finish running a 50-mile race and a sense of fulfillment in that moment. Um, but, you know, the happiest people I know aren't even thinking about happiness. They're too busy being productive. So those who are always questioning, am I happy yet? Does this make me happy? Or miserable <laughs> because it's like weighing yourself every 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the thing about uh, goals is we are wired to achieve goals. And in fact, I would define success as making progress toward a meaningful goal. And we need <laughs> to find goals. We need to find purposes in our life. When people ask me, what is the meaning of life? I say, let's talk about purpose. I can say more about that than meaning because we make up meanings. You know, people, humans create meanings. Um, I don't know if anything innately means anything else except for human, the human mind. So, but purpose, yeah, that's pretty clear. We have goals. We have a goal now. I'm speaking with you. I'm sharing my, my purpose in this moment is sharing with you and having a conversation. That's yeah. yours too. So we know what our purpose is in this moment. And so that's what I'm aiming toward. Um, there was a, a psychiatrist named Shoma Morita, who was one of the teachers of the sage. Again, one of the mentors in my new book. And Marita said, um, three guidelines for living wisely and well. Accept your thoughts and feelings, positive or negative, as natural to you in the moment. As you would in meditation, just notice them, accept them, they're there. Two, focus on a purpose, a constructive purpose. And three, do what needs to be done in line with that purpose. So it doesn't really matter whether I have positive thoughts right now or what I'm feeling at the moment. I'm not saying ignore feelings. They can carry useful information. It's not like about denying or ignoring feelings, but you don't let them run the show. Mm -hmm. You feel what you feel. And meanwhile, what's my purpose? And then doing what needs to be done in line with that purpose. It's a way to function wisely and well in life. It may not sound too spiritual or sexy, but I'll tell you, those who get things done have a, a higher baseline of happiness than those who don't get things done. Yeah. You know this intuitively in your own life, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, you, you say it so well. Um, are you familiar with Earl Nightingale um, and some of his? Uh, yeah, uh, actually, they, they send me a check now and then for some program they did, they produced. With <laughs> so I'm they, familiar with Nightingale Conant, yeah. He, um, he has a, a piece of philosophy. It's out there on Spotify. It's like 30 minutes. And he said something that really struck me. It's very similar to what you said. He said, a successful person is progressing towards a predetermined and worthy ideal. Well, and then, there you go. And that, you know, you know, I, I think you said it a little more succinctly, which I appreciate. But, you know, then, and then he talked about, you know, write down that goal, think about a goal and write it down and take the steps, take the actions to do it. Yeah. And you don't need to judge yourself along the way. You don't need to do anything, but you, you need to go in that direction. That's why I suggest to people dream big, but start small and then connect the dots. So it's saying much the same thing. You know, Andre Gide once said, everything that needs to be said has already been said, but it needs to be said again because no one was really paying attention. So there's always room for new voices, new ways to express things. And uh, in your citing Earl Nightingale's uh, wonderful quote, um, nobody's smarter than all of us. 
So our, our, the perennial wisdom, as Alan Watts used to call it, is abounding all around us. One of my hobbies has been collecting quotations. I'm working on a thousand pages of, of quotes I've collected over the last 50 years, wow. sorting them and so on, because they have pithy wisdom. And um, so that's why I'm always coming up with a quote for the moment, because they're just buzzing all around. And there's so much wisdom. It's not my wisdom or yours. It's just wisdom. And we can pick it out of the air um, to help remind us and guide us uh, through the uh, shoals and, and, uh, and tricky waters of life sometimes. Yeah, that's, that, that's so wise. You know, it's definitely, it's definitely no one's. It's all of ours. You know, that, that's beautiful there. Yes. Um, and uh, by the way, I, I do note that my granddaughter is going to arrive in about two minutes. I was going to say, I want to be respectful of your time, Dan. And again, I wanted to just thank you for, for taking the time to join. And I hope this is not the last time we speak. I will be listening to you talking in my ears later today. Um, <laughs> my, my last question, do you have any, any last thing to say to the audience? Well, I would. I'd say it to you and I'd say to your audience, stop comparing yourself to other people. It's a profound disrespect for your own process. I see many unhappy young people uh, particularly are people who are using social media because they, everyone else is showing their best side, their best life. Look how what fun I'm having in Cabo or wherever, you know? Um, and, and they're going, oh, wow, they seem more popular and more beautiful or handsome or having more fun than I am. Um, and this comparison is just a, a form of suffering. Uh, when I taught gymnastics many years ago, uh, let, me, let me stop because there's a siren in the background here in Brooklyn, New York. So hold on. I don't know if you hear it, but... <laughs> Oh, I hear it. <laughs> okay. I don't charge extra for the sound effects, but um, so I was going to say that uh, I, when I coached gymnastics and taught, uh, I noticed some people learned somersaults easier or quicker than others. But often I also noticed that those who took longer to learn it, learned it better than those who learned it quicker. So we have to trust our own process of learning and of living. Someone once said, I cannot write a book commensurate to Shakespeare, but I can write a book by me. And so there's always room for more new voices to express in their own way what they've learned. I was one of those voices. I shared as best I could and uh, 18 books. And, and I'm pretty much retired from writing books now with my culminating work, the most recent one. Um, but I'll continue to teach where I'm invited. And I thank you for this opportunity to share with you and your listeners. Thank you for the focus, for the energy. I mean, there's nothing to add on to that. That was just so beautiful. Dan Millman, everybody, if you haven't had a chance to read his work, listen to his work, even watch, it, watch some of the interviews he's been on, I highly recommend it. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Dan. I look forward to speaking with you soon. A pleasure meeting you and sharing with you, Sean. Take care. Take care.